time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. It's Monday, March 21st. I am in Miami at the Mortgage Collaborative Conference. It's a great conference. We're enjoying so many meetings already, seeing so many friends. And I encourage you to check out the Mortgage Collaborative. And uh, these kind of conferences are just so beneficial to lenders. And this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I'm so excited about our hot topic segment this week. We have Lori Brewer, a good friend, formerly owner of LBA Wear, which was recently acquired by Simple Nexus. And I encourage you to go back and check our show notes because we did an interview with Kathleen Schreiner Gates. I just love Kathleen. She's an amazing leader and has done so much already for our industry. And the thought of both her and Lori TV together, Oh my gosh, folks, you're going to want to listen to the Hot Topics segment. Lori gets into some of the exciting things that's already beginning to happen as a result of the acquisition of LBAWare by Simple Nexus. So tune in and listen to the Hot Topics segment. Thank you goes out to Industry Syndicate. Check out all the podcasts at industrysyndicate.com. They promote our podcast as well as some of the top leading podcasts in the nation. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, as well as Finastra, Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution. Experience the power of a fully integrated approach to mortgage lending that simplifies the borrowing experience and streamlines the process for employees. Also, the Lenders One Conference in Phoenix. It was great, well attended, and there was so much information. Also, we have the Mortgage Collaborative, TMC. Go back and listen to the interview with Rich Zerbinski on February 7th that I did. And also, we have Total Expert as a sponsor. Thank you. I'll say a shout out to Knowledge Scoop as a sponsor. They do a great job as a learning management system. Check out their new release. It's coming out April 1st to get on the announcements. Uh, when that is being released and the information about that, go to trythecoop.com. Comparing the team, got some new stuff coming up. It is really cool. Also, Mobility MMI, Mortgage Market Intelligence, and Modex. Both of these sponsors do a great job of helping you recruit top LOs and give you intelligence about what goes on in the market. Be sure to check these companies out. Also, we're thrilled to have SnapDocs as a sponsor. They help lenders overcome obstacles to adopting e-mortgage technology. Also, Success Kit. I love what Julian Lumpkin and the group are doing. Check out the interview we did with Julian January 10th on 2022. Successkit.io. Also, I want to say a special thank you to the Lender Toolkit. We want to thank our sponsor, Penny Mac, TPO. Go back and listen to the interview with Kim Nichols on November 1st, 2021. Also, I want to say thank you to Form Free. Then finally, special thank you goes out to Debbie Wemus at the DW Consulting Group, helping people with their LinkedIn profiles. And finally, I want to say a special thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and my good buddy, Jack Nuttery, who's going to take over the podcast for me at this point. 
Thanks, Jack, for co-hosting. You're welcome, David. We can't wait to get you back in studio. We want to hear about how you did racing Ferraris in Las Vegas and your time in Miami. Looks like David has a wonderful life traveling around the country doing some exciting things. Can't wait to hear about it, David. But now let's get into the segments and let's hear from Rob Van Raphorst and the NBA Mortgage Minute. Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the Senate Banking Committee advanced the nomination of Sandra Thompson to be FHFA Director. NBA President and CEO Bob Brooksmith released a statement applauding the Senate Banking Committee and noting Thompson's experience including as acting director and knowledge of the real estate finance industry and how it will serve her well as she continues to lead FHFA. Brooksmith called on the full Senate to quickly confirm her nomination. Shifting gears, be sure to attend MBA's Technology Solutions Conference and Expo 2022, April 11th through the 14th in Las Vegas, Nevada. To register, go to mba.org slash conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for that update, Rob. Always lots of great info and Rob's MBA Mortgage Minute. Now let's go to Les Parker and let's hear from Les with the TMM Spotlight and this week's macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. For those days, they felt Putin's mistake. Those times when China played on hate. Ukraine keep marching on. Oil, the dollar, stocks, and bonds suggest that the Ukrainian situation gets resolved with modest damage to growth in advanced economies. Meanwhile, Goldman Sachs sees a 33% chance of a U.S. recession in 2023. The Fed's steadfast willingness to slow inflation strengthens the dollar and treasuries. It is hard to justify mortgage rates going much higher without stronger growth. Right or wrong, never fight the Fed, but the market's always right. Right? These views are my own. Take the right step at tmspotlight.com. Thank you for that update, Les. If you're interested, go to tmspotlight.com to subscribe for free. The Les's newsletter. Use the word power for the free subscription. Now we're going to go to Matt Graham with a mortgage rate update. Matt's the founder and CEO of MBS Live with his mortgage market updates. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, this might be a little bit quicker than normal because markets are actually going fairly crazy right now on fresh news wires from a Powell speech this morning in which Fed Chair Powell expanded on last week's press conference and Fed announcement by just now, like less than a minute ago, saying that they expect to begin reducing the balance sheet at the coming meeting over the next three years. It's still unclear when Powell says at a coming meeting or at the coming meeting, whether he's referring to a coming meeting or the coming meeting. So if it's the coming meeting, that would be in May. If it's at a coming meeting, I mean, we're talking about June, probably at the latest. But this is a really important narrative for the bond market and for stocks as well, for that matter, because it is a lot faster than anyone expected back at the end of 2021. A big factor in the rising rate environment in early 2022 was this adjustment process to a faster normalization timeline, and that refers to the Fed actually shrinking the size of its balance sheet. It just wrapped up tapering end of two weeks ago, and then 
at last week's that announcement, the announcement itself, obviously we got the rate hike that we were expecting and we had actual explicit mention of the normalization process at a coming meeting, which was pretty intense for a Fed policy announcement and probably more than most people were expecting. Powell really doubled down on that in the uh, press conference, but the press conference didn't add to the market weakness. I think the, the weakness came primarily on the dot plot of rapid acceleration in the pace of the Fed's rate hike outlook. Every Fed member or that median Fed member seeing a rate hike at every single meeting for the rest of the year. Now, by this morning, even before this Powell speech, we had an additional 25 bips of rate hikes priced in. So that meant a hike at every single meeting, plus one of those meetings would need to be a 50 basis point hike. Now, after Powell, a rate hike, well, Fed fund futures are accelerating further, and now we're getting close to two 50 basis point hikes. So this is all in the name of the Fed trying to get back on the right side of its inflation fighting mandate. They clearly feel like they were caught flat-footed by inflation as long ago as the third or fourth quarter of 2021. But post-Ukraine, things have gotten even worse, and I think they feel even more desperate to try to get back onto the other side of things. Of course, as Les mentioned, that's leading to some calls for recession. We'll see what we see as far as that goes, because the Fed will change course if it looks like we're headed there and if it looks like inflation is calming down. But no matter what they do to the economy in terms of growth. I think their prime directive is to get inflation back under control to whatever extent they even can, considering that the demand side of the equation isn't the whole equation. Either way, the bottom line is the big shift in Fed policy is having a massive impact on rates. It's the fastest rate spike we've had since the mid-90s at this point. Rates up another eighth of a percent today well over 4.5 for the average lender for a top tier 30 year fixed scenario. And that could certainly go higher before we find our footing. And also at this point, little to do with Ukraine. It's sort of damned if we do, damned if we don't, because on the one hand, if the Ukraine situation were to improve, bonds would lose a portion of their safe haven bid that they had due to the war. And if the situation deteriorates, it puts more upward pressure on inflation implications and just means they're going to have to act that much faster to combat inflation. So not a great time to be a fan of low mortgage rates, but the higher we go, the sooner we'll bounce, and then the more ground we'll have to cover the next time rates have a lower rate trend over time. Okay, Matt, I'm kind of at a loss for words here, and that doesn't happen very often, a fast rate increase in many years. So I was doing a little prep work for the show, and I had my eyes off the news for a couple minutes. When I looked up, I saw the equity markets, Matt, had went from about 140 down to about 350 down. And I wondered what drove that news or what drove that reaction in the equity market. And I think you just explained that for me, Matt. Yep. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was thought to be uh, end of Q2, sometime Q3 beginning. And so the Fed is already intimating that that could start much sooner than August or September. Am I right in that, Matt? Yeah, for sure. And in fact, I think August and September was probably a little bit late in the first place. There were definitely a lot of people that were making that call, participated in a couple of surveys where people were giving their opinion on when that would happen. My initial guess was June. This was back in January, but now I would not be surprised if they did it at the next meeting. And unfortunately, I wasn't listening to Powell's speech as it happened. So I'm just reading a newswire from it. 
And I'll have to clarify whether he said at the coming meeting or a coming meeting, because that would be an important distinction. Right. And a lot of the regional Fed presidents are going to be speaking individually this week. So I'm sure the market's going to be watching closely what that group has to say as they speak, I guess, starting Wednesday and running through Friday, the regional Fed presidents are going to have an opportunity to answer a lot of questions, Matt. Yeah, it's going to be another interesting week for sure. And I think the the best thing to plan on would be volatility. And uh, what we're telling our clients on MBS Live is, yeah, the higher rates go, the more the chances improve that we'll see some kind of bounce, but we keep being set up for that and disappointed. So we are definitely waiting for the market to give us a solid indication of a sustainable, meaningful correction before we change our strategy accordingly. Well, thanks, Matt. And to our listeners, you can learn more about Matt's great services at mbslive.net. Use LOL as the sign-up code to get an extended trial and no credit card required. Next segment up, Alice Alvey is going to talk to us about a legislative update. Alice, what do you got for us this week? Well, I'm going to pile on with not great news. How's that? We just listened to the market update, and it's great to have you hosting the show, Jack, by the way. So thanks. I'm going to focus on on you, Dap. So not that it's bad news, but just to see it. What happens in these times is, of course, our regulators then zero in on our ability as lenders to make sure that we are good at risk analysis and we are really good at monitoring our fair lending. And in this case, the UDAP, which is our unfair, deceptive, or abusive acts or practices. So our UDAP regulations that have been around for quite some time really just recently made the news with MBA that the CFPB is now going to be starting to expand how they look at UDAP. And I think one of the things just to level set for everybody who may not be familiar with this regulation is although it does say that it's intentionally to monitor this that cause or are likely to cause substantial injury to consumers, I think our challenge is we all define substantial a little bit differently. What do we consider to be substantial injury? Or what do we consider to be an act that is reasonably avoidable by a consumer? And when you really read into the regulation and some of the areas that the CFPB has expanded on, it is an area that lenders need to make sure they devote staff and timing to. Uh, this is the time when times get a little tougher. Agencies start looking at areas where they know that we potentially have weaknesses. And I always warn folks that the, the biggest area of weakness under UDAP that I saw during my consulting days was in the area of verbal and email communication. So what is it that loan officers and processors are saying, but also what is it that they are not saying? What are important aspects about a product, as an example, that should be communicated? Or are we leaving information out of advertising that really is important in making sure the consumer understands the impact of the product? So those are areas that then when you pile on that we're now using very sophisticated algorithms as an industry to target our messaging, whether that's email advertising in particular, mostly our electronic communication, or how we may analyze data for who is going to be getting certain types of communication, that's the area that the CFPB has expanded in their manual that they will now be looking at. So as you think, wow, this is great. I've got all these tools in my customer relationship management software, and I'm using all these layers of services who are helping me dissect various leads and how to market to them. You better make sure you've got 
full understanding of your algorithms and on top of that have written policies and procedures for how you're monitoring that they are not creating any kind of disparate impact. So I just wanted to point that out, folks, that in the recent headlines under UDAP, there's plenty to read that points you to exactly where it is the CFPB is going to be expanding their exams. I found a good write-up from Ballard Spar where they, a law firm used a lot by mortgage lenders, and they had a great write-up on some of the details as well as what the specific changes are. So I recommend checking them out. So that's my report for today, Jack. Thank you. Well, thanks, Alice. Let's talk about that for just a second. I mean, obviously, when you have many different people constructing many different emails, reaching out to different consumers across a very large and expansive market, first thing that comes to my mind, something that we used to do extensively is first line of defense. And look, listeners, what first line of defense is, is for auditing yourself, right? I mean, it's the business auditing the business. And the objective of that is to make sure that you do what the process says you should be doing at the point in time in the process calls for that to be done. And Alice, as I think about this, it would be Here's where you would implement these preventative measures, these compliance measures in your first line of defense program and make sure that you're testing through your organization to ensure compliance to the UDAP regs. What do you think about that? I think that's a great recommendation. Not a lot of companies, I would guess, have that. And by putting something like that in place, you're able to then build your metrics. Obviously, when you first start doing it, you go, wait a minute, how is this going to help me? But really what starts to work is the data that you collect over time. And then it also helps bring to light where you need to fill gaps in written policies and procedures for people that really have a meaningful way to do the right thing. I think, and I'm going to always throw in training in there because there's a lot of coaching that folks need. It's always amazing how much awareness of UDAP makes a big difference. A lot of people aren't even aware of how far this regulation reaches into their very conversations day-to-day with consumers. So I think what you've said is a great recommendation. Thanks, Alice. And look, just to expand on that for the listeners, I always thought that if we audit ourselves and we do a good job of that and timely and frequent job of that, when auditors get in our shop, then they should be finding that which your own first line of defense team has already found, cured, and is now monitoring for timely compliance. And it takes away the surprise moments in an audit. And maybe sometime in the future, we can dedicate some more time on a podcast to talk about first line of defense and how to implement first line of defense programs. Thanks, Alice, very much for the update. And we also thanks the folks at Union Home Mortgage for letting Alice participate on the podcast. Always great information. Thanks so much, Alice. Next up, Alan Pollack with the tech update. Alan, what do you got for us on the weekly tech update? Good to hear your voice this Monday, Jack. For some of us, it's Monday morning. Uh, Lots of cool stuff going on. I think the first thing I want to, instead of a funny joke or some bad dad joke, I'll talk about two great binge-worthy shows that you need to check out on Netflix, Amazon, et cetera. These two that I'm going to mention, the first one is called Super Pumped. It's the battle for Uber. 
and it is based on the shocking true story, and it is the rise and the fall of the Uber founder. You sit on the edge of your seat and you watch it. I've watched, there's three episodes. I think maybe a fourth came out this past weekend. It is really, really interesting. It's a pretty clean show, meaning if you compare that to The Wolf of Wall Street, which was had a lot of vulgarity and other things, this show isn't as bad or nothing like that. But it is a fantastic story. And Showtime does a good job. So you want to check this out. It's called Super Pumped. And especially if you're interested in unicorns and what they go through, what an amazing story. The next is called We Crashed. It's an Apple TV Plus series. And it's chronicling the rise and the fall of WeWork. And it premiered Friday. And the reviews are kind of mixed right now. 65% rating from critics and 79% rating from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. I've found Rotten Tomatoes, by the way, for those of you that are familiar with their rating system in general, anything that's kind of like 70, 75 and above is hit or miss based on what you like. Anything that they have is usually 90% and higher. It's usually pretty good. So be your own judge, but check it out. We crashed, and that's kind of interesting thinking about right how many people actually go to offices, how many people may need something like WeWork, where you get your own office space, or how many people have this, whatever we're calling the, the greatest resignation error of all time. So many people are looking for new jobs or retiring or doing jobs that are making them happier, even though there's less money. So check that out. Those are two great binge-worthy shows. So let's talk about some industry news, Jack. The first one is document automation platform. They're a startup called Oculus. Some of you may have heard of them. That's O-C-R-O-L-U-S. They rolled out a new roster of document-centric applications for Encompass. The company said that the applications are designed to reduce mortgage application process delays due to review queues. That's nothing new, right? That's basically document automation, extracting data and processing rules. Jack, you and I actually engaged on a similar project many, many years ago, but it's never going to go away, right? We've got so many processes to automate and so much data and so many eyeballs and people involved in the process. It's an easy win to automate the things that have less subjectivity or have the data to make an accurate assessment. And so they just debuted at the new ICE experience this past week, their new platform, or they call it their product suite. And of course, they're saying they reduce loan approval times and they simplify the integration process, et cetera, et cetera. You want to check this out or you want to talk to your existing vendor or consider document automation. And before I move on to the next topic, Jack, I know that you feel strongly in this area. I thought I'd maybe just swing it over to you and see if you have any points of feedback on the document automation side. Well, as you said, Alan, you and I worked extensively on a greenfield project where we implemented a number of bots in the process. We used data scraping. My basic thought on it is we solved for manufacturing defects, or we came very close to a defect-free environment. And speed is obviously going to be an output of scraping data and automating processes. But one of the things that I think we saw through it was not only that we were able to drop cycle times, that we were able to substantially reduce the number of manufacturing defects that were a byproduct of pushing loans through our process. That's important, Alan, because Ultimately, that's going to reduce the number of repurchases from investors or agencies down the road. And then the final benefit of that was is that as you automate processes, 
you know, then the scalability of your organization begins to improve dramatically. So it's Correct. that ongoing evolution of our business, but you pick up some major wins when you do that, you know, the scalability, cycle time, and the reduction of manufacturing defects all strike to the core of yeah. what we're really trying to build here, and that's an efficient, low-cost manufacturing process that gives us a comfort in the fact that while we still have humans sitting on top of the automated processes and monitoring the flow, that a lot of the work is being done by machines and verified or validated data. I mean, how can it get much better than that, Alan? That's right. And so it's kind of like working smarter, not harder, right? We can repurpose certain folks to do different things, but we have what's coming down through the sausage factory. We know it's good quality sausage, and we know the wrapper that goes around the sausage is also going to fit, and it's good quality wrapper too, right? It's actually a bad analogy, but I was in Costco this weekend, and they were selling turkey sausage with a plant-based wrapper that's healthier for you. So I was just thinking someone must have used the data or looked at customer demand to figure out that they need to change the wrapper to get more people to buy. But anyways, working smarter, not harder. And there's a perfect testimonial, folks. Jack and I worked on this Greenfield project, and that was the goal we set out to do, and we did accomplish it. Technology has only since that time improved. And so look at this vendor, look at other vendors, but document automation, whether it's upfront, whether it's in the middle of the process or at the end of the process, right, you're going to be able to move things down the pipe faster, recognize defects faster, and better align your teams to be working smarter. So I uh, appreciate that feedback on that topic, Jack. Let's also talk about one other quick update that occurred during the ICE experience last week. Roostify and ICE have also, Roostify made an announcement, they've partnered for a stronger bi-directional interface. And I think that was one of the things I picked out that was really important. We were talking so much about the slowdown, right? We're in a purchase environment. There's less real estate rates are rising. How do you attain more customers, right? And so that integration, that bi-directional interface is extremely important. I'll talk more about acquiring customers in just a moment. I wanted to bring up one other company. This is really interesting because of the times. This company called Knock, it's K-N-O-C-K. We talked about them once before. It's a property tech or what we call prop tech. They're a home buying fintech. They brought in 220 million of new financing, but it's not what they originally set out for. It was designed, this 220 million, in part to help reach profitability after abandoning their attempt to go public. The company is also slashing its workforce by 46% because the new financing is so much less than they had hoped for at their initial public offering. Get this, their product, right, what do they do? Their product includes what they call a home swap product, which is a fully integrated mortgage and as much as $650,000 in an interest-free bridge loan to cover the down payment on a new home up to six months of mortgage payments on the old home. So we talk about innovation and what's going on, and we talk about all the regulation we have. We get these prop tech companies that are doing all these unique things. So I just innovative, really cool, trending. We're going to see a lot more things like this, but even a show of the times right now, right, they decided not to go with their public offering. I don't know why, but they still raised $220 million, but they did slash job. And so that's not K-N-O-C-K. I did promise last week, Jack, that I'd bring up this company called Wordle. If you remember, it was a software engineer in Brooklyn. He, he sold it for in the low seven figures, and it was acquired by the New York Times. It's taking off like crazy. I play Wordle now with my family. 
A lot of people are doing it. You simply get six guesses to pick a word, and you go through the process. It's low tech. It's low budget. Everybody's doing it. I mention it not only because it's a trend you want to get on, just because you want to be cool and you want to stay relevant, but more importantly, think about the tech you're building, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid, right? Think about the organization that we've talked about, the Moscow method of how to organize what you want to do with your roadmap. Wordle kept it simple. It is the absolute simplest interface. It takes up no memory, no space on your phone. It's a simple design with six boxes or five boxes and six rows. Think about your tech. Think about the drip campaigns you're doing, how to acquire and sustain during the application process those people. Don't overburden them with too much complexity. Keep it simple. Keep your originators part of the process. Have them reach out at the right touch points. So Wordle's a great suggestion. But even better, you can relate that to what we're doing in mortgage. That's it for today, Jack. I've got some amazing topics we're going to talk about next week. I'm actually going to bring up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points that I feel that are absolutely critical that we need to be focusing on as an industry, tech-based, of less of the update and more focus on those seven items. One of those seven is something we're talking about today, which is data and analytics, and we have Lori Brewer on today. So with that, Jack, I'll send it back over to you, and thanks, everyone, for being our listeners. Well, thank you very much, Alan, and I'm excited about next week with what you're going to talk about. If anybody's interested in reaching out to Alan, you can contact Alan at alan at tms-advisors.com. And again, thanks, Alan, for the weekly update. This brings us to the end of our weekly mortgage updates. So, but intra-week, if you're going in, see more on our website, you'll see all the new podcasts we're releasing intra-week during that. So we've expanded beyond just the flagship podcast here we have on Mondays to cover more and more topics that are out there that need to get covered. And so that's a lot as a result of your requests, listeners. So appreciate it. Again, thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDoc, Success Kit, Lender Toolkit, Penny Mac, as well as Total Expert. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great week. I look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.